You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you will, turn to that passage of Scripture and stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's holy word. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own for one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, I want you to think about that. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. If you're in here today and you are a confessing, professing Christian, you have the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's hold on to that. Let's remember what we've attained and let's live up to the promise of the power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, move in our midst. We need something more than mediocrity here today. We need your magnificence. We don't need another day at church. We need a day of glory. Bring that to us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the American way of life is to run too fast and to run on empty. Twice in the last six months, driving my nearly 20-year-old forerunner, I have ran out of gas. Now, absent-minded preacher, professor, you can call me whatever you want. I'm busy. I got a lot on my mind, okay? So the first time it happens, I mean, the Lord is good to me. It was within, I'm not joking you, like 30 yards of a gas station. But when it happened, I wasn't sure what happened because to my defense, this nearly 20-year-old forerunner, the gas tank has decided to play its own game. You know, it's fake news, you know, when it comes to how much gas is actually in there. And so I don't always know. So, you know, give me a break, all right? So I call Mike Goldberg, who is a member of our church, and uh, he runs a towing company. And, you know, he said, you know, I know you preachers. And he said, the way you describe that, I just think you ran out of gas. And I'm like, hey, man, I got a quarter of a tank. So I go into defensive mode, you know. Don't judge me, man. I know what I'm doing. He said, where are you? And I told him, he said, isn't there a gas station right there? I said, yeah. He said, go get some gas. And it worked. Miracle. (laughs) Mike's a miracle worker. He thought it was quite funny. My wife didn't think it was all that funny two weeks later when I called her and said, hey, babe, I ran out of gas. It wasn't laughs and jollies when that happened because she knew about the other time and knew that I just that time truly wasn't paying attention. Running on empty is what I see a lot of us doing. And I think sometimes we're not real aware of where the gas gauge is. And, and life is tricky. Sometimes we can 
kind of hit a wall that we never saw coming. Now, what I'm talking about here is in the church, some are, are busy in multiple ministries and on the edge of burnout. Some of us are just busy because we're at a season in life where we're chasing kids. It was kind of funny. My friend Jennifer here was up here singing, and both of us have this uh, sunglasses thing going on, sister, because we were out watching baseball day yesterday. Yay, raw fun it was. But anyway, it was a whole lot better yesterday than Thursday night, where here, as only Missouri baseball can give us, we had 20-mile-per-hour winds, we had rain, we had snow, and we had sleet. It's been working wonders for my cold, uh, lovely stuff. But nonetheless, we're, we're running crazy and running out of gas, aren't we? Some of us are running out of gas. And I want to just say to you, I think that, that in the church today, we all know that God has something more for us. We all say we want to do more, and we just don't seem to get there. And for some of us, it really is because there doesn't seem to be any more gas in the tank, and I get it. So the question is, when you are at the end of your rope, physically, mentally, spiritually, what do you do? You know, Paul, if we were listening to him, as is always the case, let me just say this, if we will just listen to Scripture, like every good question you've ever asked has an answer in the Bible. Every good question. Now, if you've got, you know, in school they say there's no such thing as a bad question. I've been around long enough to know that's a lie. There are a lot of bad questions. But if you've got a good question, the Bible has a great answer. And if you are at the end of your rope and you are feeling like you need something, I want you to, say, I want you to hear what Paul has to say. He has some truth for us, and we need to remember that we can hold fast to what we have attained. And what we have attained is the power of Christ's resurrection. It is Palm Sunday. We are a week away from Easter, and I thought it would be appropriate to fast forward in the text a little bit and talk about resurrection to prepare our hearts for this. Because when we talk about Jesus and we talk about his resurrection on Easter, um, usually we think about it in in one of two ways. We think about it as a, a historical reality. You know, Jesus died on a cross, amen? And he rose from the grave, amen? And we believe that's as good a history as any history you'll read anywhere. There are multiple attestations of that reality. It happened. It is true. So many times we'll come to Easter and we'll talk about the fact of the resurrection. That's fine. Other times we'll come, and this is my favorite thing to talk about with the the doctrine of resurrection. We'll talk about the hope we have in heaven. That one day we're going to have a body like his that we're going to share in his resurrection, a la 1 Corinthians 15. Man, you want to get me excited? Get me preaching 1 Corinthians 15. I'll be doing this a lot. (laughs) It'll be good. I love that part. But you know, what really grabbed my heart, and, and Philippians has been great in this way, what really grabbed my heart as we were going through Philippians, as I was studying it, was the realization that there's another angle on Resurrection Sunday that the church, the busy church, the harried and hurried and hurting church needs to hear. And that message is, is that the power of Jesus is not merely history, and it's not merely our future, it is our present. The power of the resurrection is a present reality. In fact, Paul tells us that we need to Here in verse 10, to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And that means know it today. 
The knowledge of the resurrection will give us or glean for us or gain for us access into this divine power. Truth is that you can't do much for Jesus until you let Jesus' resurrection power fill your soul. And so, if you feel like you've not been doing much for Jesus, the answer is simple today. Let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. (laughs) Our cat's been sick. (laughs) And as soon as I said that, every night we have to have what we call a kitty burrito moment. And what that means is I have to take a cat with literal razor blades for hands and wrap it up in a blanket so it doesn't shred us to pieces. So... The cat's out of the bag already for us here. You need to realize if you've been lacking power, it's because you've not been experiencing, as you ought, the resurrection power of Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to share with you the power you have in the resurrection. Secondly, I'm going to share with you the privilege of pressing on with resurrection power. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the prize that is coming because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I believe that, you know, the church today, if it doesn't realize this power, if we are not living in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the resurrection, the church will slowly die. But if we will allow the power of Jesus to grip us, there's nothing that's going to stop us. So let's talk about the power you have. Let's begin with this thought, the power you have. We fill our hearts with the word of God that we may fill our souls with with the power of God. The scriptures are the key. We need to be filling our hearts with the word of God. The more you know about Jesus, the more you know his power, the more you know the truth of scripture, what he did when he came, the gospel stories, the more you're able to operate in the power of the resurrection. Look at verse 10 with me. I'm going to be a little bit more careful today. I'm always careful with the text, but maybe I want to say, I want to be a little bit more specific with these words because they're words that are common words. In fact, we would sometimes say these are kind of churchy words. We've heard them a lot, but I want to drill down into them a little bit today because there's a whole lot of good stuff here that I think we miss. Look at verse 10 and capture in your mind that word, that I may know him, that I may know him. Now, when we see that word know, we obviously are going to drift in the direction of a deeper intellectual knowledge, and that is true. But in the Greek, this word has more nuance than that. It goes deeper. It means a personal experience. The word means a personal relationship. The word means a deep friendship. And not to be silly here, but in the Bible, you will often see in the marital relationship that one, you know, the husband knows the wife. Are you following me? We're talking about intimacy here. We're not just talking about intellectual encounters with God. We are talking about a deep heart-to-heart relationship with Jesus. Do you get it? That when Paul says that I may know him, he's not just talking about going to school. He's talking about a honeymoon. He's talking about deep relational intimacy. And I'm here to tell you, church, we cannot forego this. That's why we have small groups. That's why we do life-on-life discipleship. We need each other. We need to grow in grace. We need to grow in our relationship with Jesus. 
And Paul says, let's look at the text a little bit more here in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. If you've been in church all your life, you know a couple Greek words by heart. One of them's agape. What's that mean? And another one is koinonia. What's that mean? Fellowship. There we go. Some of you guys have been in Sunday school for 50 years and you got two words. That's great. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. You may know a few more, but I'm kind of joking because like, like every preacher, those are the two Greek words. You know that, wow, he's really educated. No, he just knows the two words you know. But anyway... When I think of the word fellowship, and this just shows you, if anybody, if, if you have ever questioned if I'm a real Baptist, if you've ever done that, shame on you if you have. When I think koinonia, I think potluck dinner, baby. <laughs> now, none of my lexicons, none of my dictionaries, that's not a definition. Koinonia doesn't mean potluck, so I, I'm going to have to write my own dictionary, it looks like, for the Greek language. No. That's not what it means. That's what we think it means. Fellowship, hanging out, having good friends. But the truth is, this word means to join with. It's another relational, intimate word. And look at the context. We're not joining with Jesus for a potluck meal. We're joining with Jesus in his sufferings, literally on the cross. We know Jesus, and we get to know him more, and the fellowship we're seeking is not a fellowship of a nice, uh, hearty meal, but it is of the hardness of the cross. And the church today needs to know Jesus and to know him intimately and to want fellowship with Jesus, which means we must yearn to suffer for him as he calls us to suffer. There is no room for weak Christianity in the New Testament. Paul was not weak. He was weak in the flesh, but he was strong in the spirit, and he understood the need to join with Jesus, becoming like him in his death. When you trust in the cross to remove your sins, brothers and sisters, you can trust in the power of Jesus' resurrection to help you overcome sin and help you live lives that are powerful. You are justified and declared righteous before God because of the blood of the cross. You are sanctified and you grow in grace when you lean into the Holy Spirit and you will be glorified someday because Jesus loves you enough to die for you and rise again, raise again, so that you could live with him forever in heaven. This is the promise of the scriptures. We must cling to the old rugged cross every day. We must operate in the power of the resurrection every day. And you never, underscore this, you never grow past the cross and resurrection. Even though it is fundamental and an elementary part of your life in Christ, there will never come a day when the cross grows old to you in your mind and your thoughts. There should never come a day when the resurrection is passe and something that's no longer powerful. It should always be when you wake up in the morning, you should be amazed by the grace that saved you, that Jesus died on the cross, and you ought to be amazed that you have the power of the resurrection to live in every day. And one day you'll get to be with him. We sang today, oh boy, did we sing. Every time we do, all we're doing is joining with a heavenly chorus that is already in process. Are you living a cruciform life? Do you know the power of God? Well, you don't if you won't share in the pain of the cross. If you don't want to know him, if you don't want to share pain 
with him on the cross, then you will not be complete. The cross precedes the crown, and sorrow must come before joy. There is not enough spiritual power in you to get you to heaven, but there is enough spiritual power in Jesus, and when you are in Christ, you have enough power to defeat death. You have enough power to overcome the sin in your life. Are you tempted today? Do you know that this afternoon you're going to give in to that temptation again? You will if it's up to you. But if you are in the power of the resurrection, you have power over the sin. I don't think you believe it, but before we're done, you will. Because this word is true. We must know him. We must share in his sufferings. And we need the power of Jesus, our resurrected Savior. In Revelation 1, we hear these words. Fear not, Jesus says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Jesus has defeated sin and death in the grave. And so have you if you've believed in him. Hey, listen, if, if God is powerful enough to save you for heaven and for eternity, he is powerful enough to save you from that sin that is eating you away like some caustic acid poured on the flesh. We don't need that. We can avoid that if we have the power of Jesus. Let's go on to our second point, and that is the privilege to, to press on. The privilege to press on. It is a privilege to be with Christ and follow him, there's no doubt. But as I've been sharing with you, this is not for the faint of heart. As we've already noted, to follow Christ, we must be willing to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Look at verse 11. Like Paul, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is willing to do, let me say it again, What? Ever it takes. Paul is a desperate man. Now, let me bring that question, bring a question to you today. How many of us, okay, don't, don't point a finger at other people. I'm going to ask myself this. How often can I honestly say that I'm living a desperate life for Jesus, that I am desperately in love with him and desperate enough to sacrifice for him. We need more desperate Christians and less casual Christians. We need people who know that the only way to beat death at its own game is to cling to the cross of Christ. Church, what I'm saying is we need you to become more desperate. Your Christianity cannot be casual. It cannot be on the side. It cannot be the side dish. It must be the main course. We need people who understand what they've been saved from and they're desperate to serve Jesus so that others can be saved from a future separated from God in heaven. There is a place called hell and I believe that it is there so that we will be motivated to share, to tell people about Jesus, to rescue the perishing, and to care for the dying. Jesus is beautiful, isn't he? The world needs to know that. It's an honor to strive for Christ, and sometimes we act like the honor's all Christ. Oh, oh Jesus, you have me. But that's not right. 
Like an athlete training to win the race, we must be willing to, look at verses 13 and 14 with me, we must be willing to press on and strain forward. We can see in those words a very clear analogy or illustration of athletics, of running, of racing. To be more like Christ, to know him, to serve him, we must press on and strain. We must never think of ourselves as God's gift, but we must Instead, always yearn to receive the gifts of God, the spiritual gifts, and then to share the spiritual gifts with other people. Look at verse 13 and note the word consider. Let's take a look at that word there. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now, this word is kind of connected with that word know in in the sense of we might think about it a little bit more in the intellectual phase, and that's true. But one of the things we need to realize is is that part of the Christian journey requires us to fill our minds with God's word and his truth. Now, Paul is very, very clear in the book of Philippians that a big part of living for Jesus is serving Jesus. But let me just throw this out. And it's not just because I like to read books or, or, or really love studying theology. I think this is true for all of us. What Paul is saying is, is that if we are going to really serve Jesus well, we need to consider the scriptures. I want you to have in your mind that, that word stretch and strain is kind of like the elasticity of your mind. I promise you there is more of Jesus that you can fill your mind with. There is more. I love the fact that I've been preaching for nearly 30 years. Started when I was five. That's how I'm, you know, anyway. Um, No, not quite that early, but I probably acted like a five-year-old in my first church. But anyway, so, but just to think that I can preach these same passages again and again, and there's just no way to exhaust the riches I think God wants us to know him more. We want more of Jesus. Yes, to grow in grace means you'll serve Jesus. But I'm asking you, where are you growing in your knowledge? Have you considered the fact that Jesus wants you to grow in your knowledge of who he is and just let your mind expand by letting the word pour in? Verse 12 says it, and I know some of you are really going to struggle with this. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Some of you maybe think you're already there. You know, you go around, you have that saying, like one of my friends when I was growing up, he says, you know, I used to be conceited, but now I'm perfect. So, you know, you get the... <laughs> Paul was a man at, that truly was after Jesus' heart. He knows that he has much, much more to go. Verse 14 makes that clear. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ in Jesus. I, I believe that that's what he's saying. He's saying that, that I've got to keep pressing. I have to keep going. I've not attained it. And I want you all to know that that's part of what we need to do. We need to press on, church. God has been very good to Ridgecrest Baptist Church these last few years. We have seen God do amazing things, even in the past few weeks in Poland and in other places, we, South Dakota. Look at what God is doing all around us. But I want you to know, I don't know if it's my personality or if I'm just following Scripture. we got to press on. We can't ever say that's enough. There are more souls that are hurting. There are more orphans that need to be rescued. There are more people that need to be encouraged by the gospel coming from you, not only in your service, but in your speech. We need to consider. Oh, don't rest. Don't rest until you've known him fully. So basically what I'm saying is never rest. 
know him, and work all of your life. I mean energize, find energy, and be energized by the truth of Scripture. And one of the ways we can do this is to say often, more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. May that be a rallying cry for you and for us as a church that we remember that it's all about Jesus. When trouble comes in the church, it's because it's more about me than it is about him. And so we must say more of Jesus and less of me. Jesus is calling you above your aspirations. Why don't you think about that for a minute? Let that bounce around in your head. Let's say you are the best dreamer in this room. You've got a vision for your future that is amazing, and you're on your way to achieving it. And you may think that if there comes a day when you've got just so much money in the bank account and just the right car and just the right home, you will have achieved your aspirations. I want to tell you, you have aimed far too low. Jesus has more for you than you've dreamed of. Whatever your greatest dream is for your life, Jesus' dream is better. And we need to realize that, that we can only realize that if we die to self. Smug satisfaction will lead to stagnation, but God is calling us to something better, a hunger for Jesus, that we will press on, that we will make sure that we have made Jesus our own, verse 12, that we will apprehend him and be mature in him, verses 15 and 16, and if we do that, we can know the prize is coming. The prize that is coming, our third point. You know, there are some things in this world that you would like to have. There are other things in this world that you would do whatever it takes to get. For example, if you have a sick child, you will do whatever it takes to get them the medicine or medical help they need. Paul shares with us how desperate we need to be concerning the resurrection. He says in verse 11 that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I don't think people realize how serious this mortal condition is. I don't think people realize or think too much about the fact that they will die. If we don't have Jesus' resurrection power, we do not have hope in the face of death. But the adverse is true and gloriously true. If we do have Jesus, we do have hope. And I just want to ask you, do you have that hope? Do you know Jesus and the power of the resurrection? Are you saved? Christian, if you are saved, are you willing to share in his sufferings the cross? We all know that this is a far from perfect world and we are far from perfect people. But are you striving for Jesus? Are you fixing your eyes upon Jesus? Do you have heaven as the goal? There's nothing wrong with that. Let me just say this. There is nothing wrong for longing for the new place. There's nothing wrong for longing for heaven. It is a good motivation. But don't just think that the power of Jesus is for post-death. We have the power of Jesus now. You can know him now. You can serve him now. And here's the deal. You don't have to ask the question, what will happen when I die? That's the biggest question. And that question is answered in the resurrection of Jesus. Don't spend another minute worrying about the second after you die because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That business is taken care of. You are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now, use the power of the resurrection. Fill your heart with the love of Jesus and be the Christian you're called to be. That's what we're called to do. 
Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus some 30 years before he wrote this. And notice, he's still striving. He's still trying to consider. He's still trying to know. He's still trying to unpack what it means to suffer. And for him, it meant being beheaded there on a Roman road. He was martyred for his faith. That's what he was pressing on toward. And then there's some people today in the church today, they think they're pressing on to blessings in this world. And Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever, was pressing on towards martyrdom. Listen, we've got to get serious about Jesus. Jesus died for us. He's not asking us to play patty cake with Satan. He's asking us to go and fight. Because souls are worth it, aren't they? They are. Beautiful souls. Well, it's Palm Sunday. And we've not really preached a traditional Palm Sunday sermon. I did that on purpose because I wanted to finish this way. I want you to know the king is coming. You know, when I read the Gospels, I see a Jesus who is humble. I mean, he's got all the power. And yet he gives it away. Again and again, he gives it away. He is humble, and he comes into Jerusalem. And I know the donkey riding in on the, on the, on the donkey looks so humble. That was the way um, kings in that part of the world came into cities. So don't necessarily see it that way. But I want you to realize, though, that just only really one day, in all the days Jesus had on earth, only one day, did he even let it out that he was truly the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's the day that we're celebrating here today. One day in his life when everybody's saying, Hosanna to the highest. Let me tell you, when Jesus comes again, it won't just be one day of glory. And he's not going to come with his power diminished in any way. He will come with the power and might of God, and we will be able to worship him forever. But here's the thing, church. We're not to that day yet. When we watch the news today, it looks like it could be a little sooner than we thought. But that day has not come yet, and we need to do this. He will come again with absolute power, but we can share in that power today. And I'm asking you to consider what share of the power you have. And it is time, like Paul, that we we get this idea of pressing forward. We will have to get this in our minds. You will either allow life to press you down or you will press on for Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, what's it been lately? Have you felt pressed down because of the busyness, because of the fatigue, because of all the things in life? I understand that. You don't have to feel bad about that, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to feel that press on your heart forever. If you will, make the determination today to press on For Jesus, as Paul exhorts us to, the power of the resurrection is for today. If you will hold fast, and again, church, if you are here today and you are a believer, what Paul is saying is you've already attained this power. Now it is time to hold on to it, to press on with it, and to allow God to have the glory that you can make a difference in this world. But there is no way to overcome the sin and pain and fallen condition of this world unless the power of the resurrection grabs you and you are saved. Here on Palm Sunday, let's begin there.
Maybe some of you for the first time need to cry out, Hosanna to the highest. Praise the Lord. Receive Jesus. Let's do that now. And Christian, it's time to live in the power of the resurrection and to come to the altar as the Lord leads you and to seek that power. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.